interesting about a prophet is most people when they think of a prophet they think well a prophet foretells future events which is a small part of the role of the prophet by and large the prophet's job was to call into question the status quo a prophet's job was literally to destabilize what was well-worn grooves in people's hearts and culture prophet It's a word that brings with it lots of ideas and expectations. Most people think a prophet is someone who tells the future, though this is sometimes true. As Pastor Daniel shares with you today, the primary role of a biblical prophet is to act as God's mouthpiece and call into question the unhealthy and unloving patterns in people's lives and hearts. God sends prophets not to demean you, but to rescue and heal you. Now, Here's Pastor Daniel in John chapter 1 as he begins his message. The light gives light. So I don't know about you, but I love people watching. So I remember growing up, so I'm, you know, I'm all Italian from New Jersey, so we used to go down to the Jersey Shore. And so, you know, it's funny when you say that phrase, I always, always go down to the shore, go down to the shore. And was, when I started reading the Bible, when I got a little older, it always says in the Bible, you go up to Jerusalem. And so the rabbis make a point that you go up to Jerusalem because you're getting closer to God. And so then I'm like, oh yeah, you go down to the shore. So you do the math, you know? Um, but I love watching people. And I remember growing up, we'd go down to the shore and, you know, all those boardwalks and stuff. And so long before there were TV shows about the Jersey shore, like, those people were really doing that stuff down the shore. And so me and my buddies would go down there and we would always just try and find a place that we could just kind of watch people. And it really stoked my interest in, in just people, who people are and how people work and, and why people do the things that they do. And I, I really started to notice that oftentimes people would, you know, if people are standing there and then someone comes up the affect of the person who comes up will always change the group dynamics. So like if someone walks up and they're super joyful, big smile, very quickly other people start to smile if they're not smiling. In the same way if someone get up and they have that cross look on their face, it's almost like that cross look gives way to more cross looks. And obviously not being in the conversation, not uh, totally eavesdropping or anything like that, you you know, I would just kind of fill in like what the discussions were. We'd have a lot of fun as friends, you know what I mean? Like make up stories about what they're talking about and different things that were going on. But this idea that in some ways, whatever we put into a situation, we actually pass along in that situation, right? That really, this is, it speaks of the idea of conformity. Right, that everything kind of lines up. It's, it takes a lot of effort if everybody's having fun for one person to throw a wet blanket on that. But what's amazing is that everyone could be having fun. One person throws a wet blanket on it, and guess what? Everybody gets negative. So, so much of this life in interpersonal interactions is about us learning that whatever we put into a situation, we're also going to get more of. And the reason I bring this up is because. 
when we think about what God has done in the Christmas season, we think about what God placed into the world, literally himself, grace, love. I mean, Jesus coming as a child. I mean, the complete and total innocence and humility. And that reality is simultaneously changing the world. But then we always do it here. We want to make sure that we, we personalize this stuff as well. You have to ask yourself, like, what am I putting into the world? What, what are the dynamics of what I'm saying and how I act? Am I bringing beautiful things into the world? Joy, peace, love, forgiveness. Am I bringing a lot of anger and frustration? See, whatever it is that you bring into every situation, you actually impose on everybody in that situation. I'm talking about this because I realize that, you know, as we get closer to Christmas, the holidays have a tendency to be a beautiful mixed bag for most people. It's like it's one, in one hand, it's beautiful, it's a holiday, and in another hand, it's like you have to see everyone in your family. You know? And there's like, you know, I, I had a friend say to me, there's a reason I don't live with my whole family. <laughs> you know? And so my encouragement is to make sure that we put into interactions with people, not only in the holidays, but at the office, in the neighborhood, at the grocery store, that we inject something into every interaction that raises the bar, doesn't lower the bar. And nobody can make you do that. You, it's something you choose to do. Like you choose what you're going to put into those interactions. Now, I also bring this up because in this reset series, I've entitled today's message, The Light Gives Light. So I want you to see this. So open up your Bibles, John chapter 1. John 1, we're going to be taking verses 6 to 13. So John chapter 1, if you open your Bible, John chapter 1, it's the fourth book in your New Testament. So the first two-thirds of your Bible, we call it the Old Testament, everything before Jesus. Then the New Testament begins with these four tellings of the story of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So the fourth one, chapter 1, we're going to be taking verses 6 to 13. Now, If you were here as we started this series, I've been encouraging all of you to take John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18, and let it be the meditation of your heart. And so I'm hoping at this point you've been just spending time in this text. That's what I've been doing. It's like I just want, I want to get God's word all the way, not just in my head, but I wanted to take the 18-inch journey from my head down to my heart. Right, And then I wanted to take the, everyone's got a different wingspan, but I wanted to make the journey out to my hands and my feet and up to my mouth. And so, so that, so that these things that God is speaking to us from his word are actually become the content of the lives that we live. And so if you've been tracking with me on this, you've been reading verses six to 13 pretty much every day. And so I know that God's given you insight into it. Because you really don't need a teacher. The Spirit of God will take the truth of who Jesus is and explain it to you. And so we're just going gonna to be here comparing notes today. Does that sound good? So John chapter 1, verse 6 says this. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. 
He was not the light, but was sent to bear witness to that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now, this is a beautiful little section, isn't it? And there's a lot in there. But first, I'm going to read to you verses 6 to 8 again, because I want you to really hear this. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe he was not that light but was sent to bear witness of that light. So we move from the first four verses where we're learning about the word, the word who is with God, the word who was God. This word, we know he was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him and nothing, without him nothing was made that was made. And now John's gospel moves us. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, we know him more commonly as John the Baptist, John the Baptizer, right? And so what we learn is there was a man sent from God. His name was John. What does he mean is John was a prophet. And not prophet, P-R-O-F-I-T, right? But P-R-O-P-H-E-T, right? So a prophet was somebody who spoke in the name of God, who opened up their mouths to be a mouthpiece for God. Now, what's interesting about a prophet is most people, when they think of a prophet, they think, well, a prophet foretells future events, which is a small part of the role of the prophet. By and large, the prophet's job was to call into question the status quo. A prophet's job was literally to destabilize what was well-worn grooves in people's hearts and culture. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody who speaks in a destabilizing manner is a prophet sent from God. Some people just like being troublemakers, right? But God has an amazing way of when things are going on, God will raise up a prophetic voice that will cause people to begin to question what's going on. Now, If you study prophets in the Bible, and I do encourage you to, because really the last third of your Old Testament is what we call the prophetic books. It begins with what we call the major prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah, Ezekiel and Daniel, and then you go into the 12 minor prophets, right? And then, but Moses was known as a prophet and Samuel was a prophet, right? Oftentimes prophets weren't exactly the most popular people in culture. Why? Who likes getting called into question things that you feel super comfortable with, right? So oftentimes the prophets were among the most persecuted people in a culture because the prophet is telling you what you don't want to hear, but God needs you to hear it. Now, what I want to tell you is this, is that I pray that all of us have prophetic people in our lives because all of us have areas of our lives that aren't in line with the ways and the purposes of God's kingdom. All of us do. 
And the thing is, is God loves you enough to send people into your life to challenge presuppositions, not because God just likes to nitpick you, but because God wants you to live in light of the truth. And so oftentimes those are the people who you really don't like, right? Because they challenge you. I mean, I've almost never met someone who loves to have their status quo challenged. I remember when I first started preaching and I had a pastor say to me, he said, Daniel, you just have to get used to the fact that you have a prophetic gift in teaching. Because I'm crazy enough to think that when the Bible says you should love your enemies, that Jesus actually means that. So like when it's election time around here at Crossroads, I'm always like, look, however you vote, you should love the people on the other side. And people get mad at me. And I've gotten accused of being a closet liberal and conservative in the same 10 minutes. But the only people who get mad at that are people who really are comfortable not loving somebody who votes differently from them. And so when those things come in, and I'm not saying, you know, I I think a lot of the people who are really angry, they left to find a church that wasn't prophetic in that way. But when you hear those type of things, even if it's challenging, you have to say, is this the voice of God? Is, is, is this God wanting to adjust me so that I do not allow myself to roll in a way that isn't part of his heart? And John the Baptist was one of these people. Now, it was well known in Jesus' culture that there hadn't been a prophet in a couple hundred years. That's why in the Protestant collection of the Bible, there is a number of books that are not there as opposed to the Catholic tradition, of, and I mean the Roman Catholic tradition, because what happened was there was a number of books that were written in between Malachi and Matthew, but because the Jewish people, and you can read it in the writings of Josephus and lots of other, there was well known that there was no prophet there. So it's not that those books don't have historical value, but it was well known that there was not a prophet speaking. So if there was not a prophet speaking, it might be a good historical book, but is it inspired text, right? And when John the Baptist shows up, everybody knows the prophet's in the house. And people start to flock to where John was because John was telling them that they needed to repent. And that word literally means to change direction, repent and turn to God. And he would baptize them in water. Now, we don't realize, we think, oh, well, John, nobody ever baptized. The mikvah was a ceremonial cleansing. It was very common in Judaism. When somebody, for some reason, had become ceremonially unclean, maybe they touched a dead body, they touched blood, all sorts of things could go on. Before they were readmitted into the worshiping community, they were brought out to almost, you know, like to running water and they would be dipped in the water. Now, this functioned in a lot of ways. First, of course, it was good old-fashioned hygiene. Can I get an amen for running water and baths? You know, sometimes we, th- we think about it, like, I can't believe they would make them do that. It's like, listen, everyone didn't have a jacuzzi, uh, you know, like a shower over a tub, you know, with smelling salts and, and whatever your favorite type of bath products are and bed, bath, and body works and all this stuff. It's like nobody had that. So when you got dunked, everyone was like, hallelujah, ah, you know. When the priest walked by with the incense, everyone was just like, I'm just kidding. I don't really know if they were doing that, but that's what I would have done in that situation. You know, just get, just get a little air freshener, you know. And, and so the idea of the ceremonial cleansing was very common and deep in Judaism, but John not doing it within the, 
the borders of the temple, being out at the Jordan River, inviting people to repent and turn to God because God was doing something. This was the first time this had happened in many generations. And John the apostle, who is not John the Baptist, I want to make sure I said that because I know some people are like the same guy, different guy. No, no. John the Baptist didn't write anything. John the apostle is the author. I mean, the spirit is the, is the author, but John is the human author of this. John the apostle tells us that John the Baptist was a man sent from God. And his function, it says, this man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. Now, what's great is John the Baptist functions as an amazing example for us because you and I, we need to bear witness to Jesus. You and I do, just like John. John's job was to be a witness. Now, if you think about a witness... A witness is somebody who declares what they've seen, right? Like if you get called as a witness in a court of law, you will be asked questions about what it is that you saw or what it is that you understand, right? And it says that John, he came for a witness. Now in the Greek language, the word witness is the same word that we get the word martyr from. Now think about that for a second, because a martyr is somebody who has given up their life for their faith in Jesus. It's the ultimate form of witness. I mean, one of the greatest proofs of the veracity of the life of Jesus is the fact that all the apostles ended up giving up their life for this. So I love when I meet someone and say, oh, all the apostles just sat down one day and they decided, hey, we're going to invent a religion. You know, and you're like, oh, really? Is that what they did? Oh, yeah. He's like, they're going to make a lot of money doing that because religions are make lots of money. I'm like, really? So how do you think it went for them? Oh, man, I mean, Christianity is the biggest religion in the world. Those guys were loaded. I'm like, actually, no, those, all those guys got killed for believing that stuff. And they weren't loaded. They were poor. They were so poor that they needed the apostle Paul to make collections from the Gentile world because they were starving in Jerusalem. And they all got killed. And none of them got killed in like a humane way. Like they ate so many Twinkies that they had a happy heart attack. (laughs) Like these guys got brutalized in the most barbaric fashion. So I'm like, so any idea that these guys were like starting a religion in a conference room trying to make money, that's nuts. And I'm like, and don't miss the fact, if you actually read history... That the early church was literally persecuted first by the Jewish people within Israel and then by the Roman Empire systematically for almost 300 years. So the the early church was formed in the crucible of intense persecution against their faith. So before we get these ideas about like, oh yeah, these guys were just like coming up with this stuff. No, these guys gave their lives for this stuff. And John the Baptist, he was a martyr too. Because he ended up getting arrested by Herod because of what he was doing. And Herod and his wife, who was his brother's wife, John the Baptist spoke out against it and was imprisoned and ultimately was beheaded. Now, It's one thing to die for something, and it's another thing to die for a lie. And if you ever doubt 
the reality of the fact that Jesus is real. You have to look at the testimony of the people who are there. Because they would not recant of those beliefs. Because they saw it. They knew what they knew. It wasn't misguided, uncivilized silliness. This were men and women who saw Jesus and saw what he did. And they were absolutely convinced that Jesus was real. And they were willing to give up everything for it. So this idea of the martyr being the witness, the ultimate example of being a witness. And you and I are doing the same thing where we, our job is to declare what we see and what we know. Notice that at the end of verse seven, that all through him might believe. So what this means is that all of us, brothers and sisters, every single one of us, we exist filled with the Spirit, if you are born again, to be somebody who declares what you see and know that others might believe upon Jesus. That's not just for like some pastors or some evangelists. That's for all of us. That's why Jesus said, it's good that I go away. Because then the Spirit of God will come upon you. Why? Because wherever Jesus was, there was one point of contact for the kingdom. And when Jesus died and rose again, and the Spirit of God was poured out on the early church, now that there wasn't one, there was an infinite number. See, God wants you to be a point of contact for the kingdom of God to touch into this world. God wants that for me. He wants that for all of us, that our lives might be lived in such a way that we're like, my main goal in this life is to bear witness to Jesus. To point people to the Savior that they might believe and in Him they might have life. Now, verse 8 is important. I think this is why Christianity has fallen upon hard times in 21st century Western culture. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. See, John wasn't the light. Jesus was the light. John's job is to bear witness to the light. And this is where the rub, because in our world, everyone says, I want to be the light. Notice me. Jesus is real. Thanks for joining us for today's study in John chapter 1. Pastor Daniel shared that the primary role of a prophet is not to foretell the future, but to challenge the present cultural status quo and call people to live in line with God's good plan for them. You were reminded that you, like John the Baptist, are asked to be a witness to those around you, that Jesus is the light of the world. He came to share that light with everyone. I want to thank you so much for listening to the Jesus is Real program. And I realize that there are many of you You're not a born-again follower of Jesus. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. But as you've been listening, you've been saying to yourself, I want to begin to follow Jesus. I want to help you do that right now. We're going to pray a simple prayer that just acknowledges who Jesus is in your life. So if that's you, if you're saying yes to Jesus for the very first time, pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. Thank you for saving me. I believe in you, your life, your death on the cross, and your resurrection. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I ask it in Jesus' name. And we all said together, amen. For those of you who just received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm so excited for you. I want to know that you did it though because I want to help you take your next steps with him. So pull out your mobile phone, text the word SAVED to 51400, S-A-V-E-D, 
to 51400. And my team will get in touch with you. We want to get some more resources in your hands to help you on this journey. Now, my team, we want to share some stuff with you, so don't go anywhere. Thanks, Pastor Daniel. You know, the Bible says that when one person comes to Jesus, the angels in heaven rejoice. And we rejoice with them today if you just prayed that prayer with Pastor Daniel. Again, to receive some resources that are going to help you in this new journey with Jesus, take out your mobile phone right now and text the word SAVED, S-A-V-E-D, to 51400. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel explains more about what it means to be a witness to the watching world. You'll deepen your understanding of the life that Jesus gives and learn how your vision can become cloudy because of lies you believe. Pastor Daniel will encourage you to step into the role of a witness for the Lord and remind you that though there is a cost and you will be rejected at times, it is a privilege to share God's love with others. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series, Reset, A New Birth, A Fresh Start. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.